science. Indeed, listening to uh, Love and Science on BCFM 93.2 FM or bcfmradio.org. Uh, and uh, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I was looking at Andrew. Yes, have I forgotten something? <laughs> I probably have. Um, and joined, of course, by Andrew Glaster, as Hello. usual. Hello. Uh, it's great to have your company this afternoon. And uh, we are, as usual, looking at science in the news, science behind the news, uh, trying to find some interesting news stories, of which there are always hundreds every week. And uh, we try and sieve a few out that uh, we think would be fun uh, for us to uh, discuss with you. Hi, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you, Malcolm. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be yes. back here in the studio. This will be my last show until September, I think. Oh, my goodness. I'll all be right. all by myself next week. Well, yes, unless you can get someone in. Yes. Try and get well, someone indeed. in. Well, indeed. I usually do take the opportunity. The problem is I say to people, you know, will you come on the show? Yeah. You know, show? And they go, well, Andrew Glaster be there. And I go, yeah. And they go, well, you know, let us know when you've got a gap. Yeah. Uh. That's a bit rude, isn't it? Isn't it rude? Yeah. I say, don't be so rude. He's all right, really. Yeah. You know, when you get up close, you can see these and it's horrifying. At <laughs> <laughs> first appear. How, how terrible. I know, terrible. I know. How awful. I, te- I only tease. Yes. Have you, have you been coping with the heat? Um, I have. It's, there's thunderstorms promised, aren't there? But, uh, can oh, you I, promise a thunderstorm? I, I don't, don't think... No, I don't think you can. No, they're... they're the uh, weather people pr- unpredictable. Aren't, aren't very good. Well, uh, it's not fair. I, I once talked to a meteorologist who said to me, we're pretty good three days ahead. Yeah. Um, but after that, forget it. Yeah. You know, whatever, whatever the weather forecast says is going to happen on day four is yeah. extremely speculative. Yeah, absolutely. Under normal circumstances, anyway. Yeah. Well, apart from recently, when you just safely say it's going to be sunny it's and gonna hot. Be, it's going to be sunny and hot. But I, I always feel like thunderstorms are really difficult to predict, particularly locally, because they're quite... They yeah. tend to be quite small. Yeah. And so you could be, it could have a thunderstorm in Bristol and not in Bath, you know, and that would be... Exactly. And they, they arise, don't they, um, sometimes incredibly quickly, yeah. thunderstorms. You, know, you, can, you can see how the pressure's changing and all of that and then suddenly whom you've got a you've got a thunderstorm really? I was in a tornado once were you mm. I mean there will be people listening to this you know in some far-flung corner of the world who are familiar with these things but yeah. I, I remember um, staying in a place called Norman Oklahoma that's its name Norman <laughs> it's a town called Norman uh, Oklahoma it's not a proper name for a town is it it's like calling it no. Gary or Paul or something like or that. a person Brooklyn yeah oh exactly <laughs> And uh, it's the world centre for tornadoes. Um, Well, sorry, that's not true. It's the world um, centre for studying extreme weather. And it gets hit by tornadoes more than anywhere else. And And I was there with my family. Uh, of course, yeah. um, just visiting for completely different reasons. And uh, there were these golf ball size hailstones oh. uh, that got thrown down every now and again. And I was out one day in the car. I mean, it's all, all during tornado season as well, which wasn't planned. I didn't realise when we went over there. And um, 
What they do is they break into all transmissions. So if you're watching television or listening to the radio, there's this really weird sound where it, it, uh, it breaks into every single transmission and says uh, there's a tornado imminent uh, where you are. And uh, if you're at home, you get in under the stairs or into your tornado thing. But I, w- I was out and um, uh, I saw the tornado go by <laughs> and I was in a car and uh, just drove into a puddle which kind of came up to the doors. Oh, uh, and uh, some guy just came by and very nonchalantly, without, he just waved at me, came past me, did a big U-turn, came up behind me and just pushed me out of the water. Oh, that's nice. And I just stayed there two or three minutes and then started the car and drove off. And it was like, yeah, this is what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's like a thing that they know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's a long way from thunderstorms, sorry. It's all right. It's I'm a, just rambling. It's thoroughly interesting. I, I, I don't know if there is. I'm just checking the weather again now. It looks like the thunderstorm, predictably, was unpredictable and they're, they're no longer saying there will be one. So, oh, know. well, never mind. I love thunderstorms. My partner, Becky adores thunderstorms mm. so uh, that will make her very very happy um so but uh, turning our eyes even higher even more skyward than the thunderstorm mars is going to be pretty impressive it is this yes. month i think yes it is mars um it looks as though it's going to be clear actually uh, not mars but the night sky yeah. this this evening uh, post a little bit of rain this evening the sky the clouds could clear and if you have a low southern horizon um or you find yourself to one then you'll get a pretty good view of the planet mars which is always <clears throat> always worth seeing in the night sky so just check what you mean there so so when you say if you've got a low southern horizon you you basically do not want you, mars is going to come up very low on the horizon yeah and um, what what would we see with the naked eye if we look at mars yeah, it, mars is it would look like a star with a red tinge to it but it won't twinkle. This is one of the things that means that you're looking at a star, uh, a planet rather than a star, is that it doesn't twinkle. As the famous song goes, it's not twinkle, twinkle, little planet. Yeah. It's twinkle, twinkle, little star. Yeah. So the uh, planets don't twinkle, um, yeah. largely because the light that is coming from them is uh, nearer and brighter than um, the star, the light coming from a star. Yeah. So it doesn't get disturbed so much by our atmosphere. And... The so if you look to the south this evening and for many evenings in the coming weeks, then you'll see a relatively bright reddish star. Yeah, look, so, well, so looks it's, like a star. So it's, it's, defi- it's definitely got that reddish tinge. Yes, to it. yes, yeah. it has. And um, if you look at it with the naked eye, I always think it's beautiful. Yeah, just just to to know that you're looking at the planet Mars is an yeah. incredible thing with yeah. your naked eye. If you've got binoculars, you'll um, possibly see a very, very, very small disc. So just a incredibly small pin-like disc so it will resolve itself to a disc Um, if you've got a good telescope and good um, viewing conditions then you might be incredibly lucky and see the polar ice caps on Mars, wow. which uh, I've never seen, right? Oh, right. I've got a very good telescope. Yeah, you do. But this is a very good opportunity to see it because Mars will be at its closest that it has been for 15 years and then it will not be this close again 
until 2035. So, because it's closer to us, and obviously the light that we see from it is reflected from the sun, then it has a bigger surface area because it's closer to us, so it reflects more light, so Mars becomes brighter and is also bigger. So if it's brighter and bigger than necessarily to the naked eye, you'll see it more clearly. It will be brighter to the telescopes. You'll be able to possibly see more detail on it. So if you have got a nice telescope, get yourself out to a dark sky park, uh, maybe out to Exmoor or something like that, and see if you can see some of the detail on Mars. An amazing thing. So you're going to be out there tonight? I possibly might wait uh, till the 27th, because 27th there's going to be a lunar eclipse at the same time, which would be a beautiful thing. And also, obviously, obscure the light from the moon in the lunar eclipse, which means that 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 bright light of the moon is no longer light pollution for you as well, and the stars and the planets will be brighter in the night sky again. Here's something that you will know... If uh, presumably every now and again, um, Mars gets between us and the sun. Yes. So, um, is that good? Does that mean anything? Does it mean that we can uh, see it in a particular way? Um, or if it is gets, it just hopeless? If it gets between, yes. If it gets between us and the sun, we wouldn't see it because the sun would just obliterate anything that would come from it. And in fact, all the light would be reflecting off the other side of Mars. Right. It's because the only light that we see on from Mars is reflected from the sun. Okay. So we need it to be not between us and the sun. Is the key thing. One of the stories that we looked at about this particular story one of the write-ups was uh, in the guardian and uh, our friend uh, robert massey oh, a friend of the show who's a friend of the show uh, uh, is uh, interviewed in an article for that so if you look at guardian science uh, you can read all about uh, mars and what uh, robert massey says but we should ask him to come back on he's a busy, busy man i think but well, uh, why don't you get him next week to replace that, me that would be no no one can replace <laughs> you well, people say to me, who could replace Andrew? I yeah. say, with a full heart, no one is like Andrew. Oh. Absolutely no one. I feel slightly offended <laughs> by your compliment. <laughs> I tell you what, let's have uh, a blast of uh, some music, and then we're, we're going we're gonna to go back to uh, the cosmos again. Well, this time we're going to be looking in uh, Orion, because we've discovered that Orion... Uh, or, or something in the con- what we call the constellation of Orion is bombarding us. The cheek. Um, uh, it's all about some strange particles, which uh, often referred to as ghost particles, um, and they're much talked about in science fiction films. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> things called um, neutrinos, yeah. and the thing. Uh, uh, as I understand this, I mean, you'll know a lot more about this, Andrew, than I will, but. Um, as I understand this, neutrinos, in, inside atoms, there are lots of different particles. So, so um, atom is, is a word which actually means you, you can't break it apart. Uh, you can't cut it. Uncuttable. And uh, from ancient times, there are people who believe that the world was made up of little tiny atoms that you, you, you couldn't break. Uh, little particles that you couldn't break. And so they turned out, it turned out to be true, except the can't break bit. And uh, we found loads and loads of particles. And a particle physicist is somebody who studies all these different particles. Uh, the biggest, chunkiest ones are called protons and, and neutrons. We've got electrons in there that make electricity. You can break up protons and neutrons even further, though, and uh, smash 
bits of atoms together and study all kinds of things. So there's a kind, sometimes people call it the particle zoo. But the weirdest and oddest, no, we won't say that. They're not the weirdest and oddest, but the most elusive are these things called neutrinos. Mm. So what I understand, Andrew... Hello. I'm just going to bring you in here because okay. you know about this, is that we seem to be bombarded particularly from outer space, yes. by constant streams of neutrinos. And the characteristic of them is they're, inc they're called ghost particles because they're incredibly hard to measure. Why is that? Because they don't interact with anything. So, so they're socially inept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're a bit like me on, uh, on a <laughs> night out. They can pass through uh, every room without interacting with anybody. Um, but uh, the, the way they're different to me is that they're pretty amazing, and they've come from deep into out, oh, deep from outer space. Oh, you're quite amazing. Oh, that's kind. in your own way. <laughs> um, well, so neutrinos, yeah, they don't. They, they they're coming through this room, the room you're listening in, the room we're talking from, the car you're in. Wherever you are listening to this, I imagine some of you are walking along listening to the podcast version of this on your phones. There are neutrinos passing through you as you do so. And billions of them. Yeah, absolutely. Streaming through our bodies and, uh, yeah, all the time. So, uh, it, so according to this particular story... Um, I mean, neutrinos come from all over the place. They are, they're clearly uh, part of the uh, atomic world that, that, that makes everything up. But they, they, there are these things called cosmic neutrinos, which have a, a source outside of us, outside, outside of uh, our world and, and even our solar system. And um, so there's a detector known as the ice cube, which is buried conveniently... Two, kilomet <laughs> two kilometres beneath the Antarctic ice yeah. near a place called the Amundsen-Scott South Pole Station. Yeah. So presumably that's close to the South Pole. I, yes. I haven't checked it out. Yes. And uh, refers to uh, Scott and Amundsen, who were uh, British and uh, Norwegian explorers, named, named in their honour, went to the Antarctica. Anyway, two kilometres down, that is... A heck of a long way, and presumably the reason for that is because it cuts out as much interference as possible. Yes, because they're looking for neutrinos. Now, the odd thing about neutrinos is, as we've discussed, they don't interact. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, like me on a night out, nothing to worry about. Yeah. There's and also, you can't use them as an excuse. You can't say, I'm, I'm so sorry I'm late. Yes. I was struck by a beam of neutrinos. No, you no. couldn't. Well, you could... And if your um, boss was not scientifically literate and not an avid listener to love and science, yeah. then they might fall for that. Yeah, or he watched um, programmes which implied that neutrinos were changing. Oh, yes, like 2012. 2012. Oh. Let's oh not my... go there. Let's not go there. <laughs> Come on. Um, so the, the thing is, I've just said they don't interact, haven't I? You have. And I've said that quite clearly. Yeah, clear yeah I've got that. Uh, they the do nothing to yeah. you. The trouble, yes. The trouble is... What do you do for us neutrinos? Nothing. Nothing at all. The trouble is, of course, that they do interact slightly. Some of them, the incredibly powerful cosmic ones, which are detected by the ice cube uh, detector two kilometres below the South Pole because they um, are so incredibly powerful. They do actually have an effect and they spark other particles, like, for example... 
well, not light, for example, but a, mu- a muon yeah, particle. Uh, yes. caused which, by is, which is bigger and chunkier yes. and uh, does do, is a bit friendly towards other particles. Absolutely. So then we can see that that particle, caused by the particle which we can't see, has then gone on and interacted with other particles. You can then track that backwards and you can see where it came from. Oh. And I'm tempted. There's, there's, we're looking at the BBC article, right? Yeah. And the BBC article says, step two, you follow it home, right? So you track it. So that's what they've done. They've found it. And, and it was very exciting because they, they've got an alert, haven't they? Yes. And they've got all these people all over the world. Yeah. And they said, within 45 seconds, we've found this trail. These things have interacted. They've created a muon. We can see it. And it's come from this direction. Quick, have a look. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So they've, the, the direction is, of course, as, as mentioned previously in the show, just off the shoulder of Orion, right? Mm. Which makes me want to say I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Yes. And uh, that's kind of what's happened here. And we've discovered that these uh, neutrinos ha- have come from... In case you're wondering, we were there, it's a reference to Blade Runner. Yes. Yeah. Well, I've if... learned to read you now. <laughs> I've learned to translate. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's right. very helpful. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, so off the shoulder of Orion, there is a galaxy with a supermassive black hole in the centre of it, yeah. blasting out neutrinos into space. Some of those neutrinos arrived at our planet and interacted with uh, some matter in the ice cube detector and caused a muon, and we detected it. So neutrinos... Just, just, just to be clear about how incredibly cool this is, neutrinos forged in the heart of a supermassive black hole in a galaxy off the shoulder of Orion have been discovered using a detector two kilometres below the South Pole. Yeah. How cool is that? That is really cool, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. And some statistics here. Um, this... Uh, galaxy that's well, this black hole rather that's firing these things at us. Um, uh, so I think I think what happens is that at right angles to the black hole, so the black hole sucks everything in, and at right angles to it, you get this uh, jet of neutrinos which are blasted out, and um, it's about four billion light years from Earth. That's four thousand million. It's, it's the distance is such that it takes light 4,000 million years to get to us. And when it arrives, it is significantly stronger than, uh, uh, I think it's something like 40 times, the the neutrinos arrive with 40 times more energy than particles which are created at CERN, which is the world's biggest experiment and the largest... um, uh, detector and uh, experimenter of with uh, uh, small uh, uh, particles, subatomic particles. Uh, that's incredible. Um, the jet itself that's created is almost a million light years long. Mm. So, I mean, that that is just uh, mind blowing. I, lo- I love figures like this, and it's almost in- in- impossible to imagine. Yeah, yeah. No, it's incredible. This, this is um, multi-messenger astronomy, which is something that we talked about when we discovered those gravitational waves coming from um, colliding 
neutron stars out there deep in space and we used <coughs> multi-messenger astronomy to detect them and then uh, in the future we'll be able to use gravitational waves to detect more of these things but this is another example of multi-messenger astronomy where the video, the radio and various other types of astronomy have been used to look at the same point in the night sky tracked back from this neutrino and discover we can discover so much more about these neutrinos by using all those different types of astronomy yeah we're just discovering so much aren't we so quickly it's it's just amazing um i just want to ask you about orion itself uh when you look at the night sky orion's very distinctive isn't Mm -hmm. it it's got this thing which we call orion's belt Mm -hmm. and it's got one two three four points of light above and below that um and um one of the brightest stars in the sky i believe is is always pointed at by the two is it the two top stars what are called the shoulders of orion is it serious serious yeah and uh so it's it's what the what i'm gibbering about uh with without much knowledge is is that uh, it should be fairly easy to spot. Yes, yes, it is. Um, the other way, it's 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 slightly confusing because we just talked about um, Mars yeah. and being able to see Mars. And yeah. one of the reasons you can see Mars is because it's sort of reddish. Yeah. There's another thing that's sort of reddish, and it is the uh, be- beetle ge- Betelgeuse Betelgeuse. Yeah, or beetle, people call it Betelgeuse, yeah. don't they? For fun, yeah. um, which is a star in Orion, which is of course a super massive star yeah. which is going to go supernova at some point yes. but because it's such a big red star that also appears red in the in the night sky so right. if you see mars and you, th- you th- see what you think is mars because it's a big red thing yeah uh, just big. check that it's not yeah. on the shoulder of uh, check the shoulder uh, of orion yeah. of orion all right we should can we keep saying on the shoulder of orion oh, sh- yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, let, let's move away from astronomy, oh, okay. from, unless you become delirious with joy, <laughs> um, and go to something botanical. And this, this is to do with um, the Royal Horticultural Society. So big change here, but we're still in, in science. The Royal Horticultural Society, uh, it appears, uh, is going to put on a big display of uh, plants, and uh, the, 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 he, that's, that's not a surprising yeah, thing, they because that, they right? are the Royal Horticultural <laughs> Society. So we go, wow, this is really great news. Uh, but they've opened a new centre at um, the Royal Horticultural Society, Wisley, in uh, Surrey. And um, the whole point of these uh, plants is that they're rare specimens... Um, and also they've got some old books and plant catalogues as well. They've got ac- actual specimens, which um, have been very important uh, to uh, science and uh, our heritage. Uh, there's a million uh, plants, yeah, uh, uh, more than one million nationally important science and heritage items going on display so it's taken them a very long time uh, to put the whole thing together uh, they've mostly been kept in drawers and dark places and uh, now they're going to be uh, put on display and it's something i don't know about you i don't think about this very often how important for example there's a potato plant which was collected by charles darwin mm. um, uh, from chile 
back in oh, 1835, it says, yeah, 1835 it says here. And uh, it's one of the things, part of the, the, the voyage of the, the Beagle, uh, which led him to derive his particular take uh, on evolution. And, uh, you know, that's important. That's there's, a, cool. there's another story about someone that I, I, I have to admit I've never heard of, a man called James Kirkham Ramsbottom, to whom we owe, guess what? We, we, we would not have this if it wasn't for him. It's a plant. Here's the clue. It's a plant. Okay. Um, on this story about the Royal Horticultural Society. I'm going to guess that it is chilies. No, it's not chilies. Oh. It's the daffodil. Oh, the daffodil. The daffodil. And apparently... Is he Welsh? Uh, uh, no, I don't oh. think he is Welsh, but he should be. Because he'd be a national hero if yeah, he was he Welsh. Be. Because uh, in 1916, uh, or slightly before 1916, there was a grim thing. They found that all, all our daffodils all over the world were dying, oh. and no one knew why. Then they discovered that there was a worm that got into the bulbs, but they couldn't stop the worm. And he figured out that if you heat the bulbs for four hours at just 43 degrees centigrade, it was not that hot, it didn't kill the bulb, but it did kill the evil tiny Ooh. worm that caused the bulb uh, to rot. And as a result of this, uh, thousands of Narcissus varieties um, were able to be sterilised. So this is when people talk about sterilising bulbs. This is what they mean. I've heard of this before. And they were saved um, because of the work of uh, this rather fine fellow, James Kirkham Ramsbottom. So um, some of his uh, work is going to be uh, on uh, display. Uh, but uh, he's completely uh, forgotten fellow. So so this is great. Yeah, good stuff. And... Uh, yeah, so this is the Royal Horticultural uh, Society. So if you want, if you want to uh, go on the internet and uh, have a look, it's been awarded apparently four million pound grant from the uh, National Lottery, uh, and it's going to create the world's first national centre for horticultural science and learning at the Royal Horticultural Society, Wisley. It's going to be open in 2020, so it's not open uh, right now, but you can read all about it right now. And we're very glad that people. Uh, do uh, work like that what what would the world be like without uh, the terrific variety of uh, plants that we have mars yes <laughs> it would be like mars it'd be just like mars wouldn't it and uh, you're listening to uh, love and science as usual on a monday at this time the world's finest science program that goes out on BCFM at three o'clock. With the dulcet tones of Malcolm Love. Indeed, and Andrew Glester. We met a good, a good double act, you know. <laughs> Do we? Get both our names in there with a bit of variety of voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a brilliant radio, this. It is, really. Absolutely. And um, I love the sound of my voice. I don't know about Do you. you. <laughs> no. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> this is a really interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, as you know, I do a little bit of uh, training in, in things like, you know, being... A, you probably think I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> training people to be on radio and television and thing, things like that. And um, 
I, one of the most common things that I hear is people say, when I play, because, you know, to train people properly, you have to get them to, I mean, the sort of thing I do is, is say, being interviewed on radio and television. The most common thing people say to me, apart from this terrifying, is I absolutely hate the sound of my own voice. Yeah. And I, I remember you saying that to me quite genuinely. You yeah. said, I really don't listen, like listening to my own voice yeah. on radio. And I, I'm the same. Yeah. But do you know why? Well, um, it's because my voice is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, you mean scientifically, right? So, yeah, well, we'll get uh, to that story in a minute. But I, I'm genuinely interested in, yeah. in, in whether you... Did you mean that when you... Yeah, when no, you totally. I, 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 to be perfectly honest, these days, because it happens so much, because um, aside from this, this show, of course, I have two podcasts and I make my living these days from speaking and listening to my own voice whilst <laughs> editing. So I don't... It be torment for it's you. It really is. It really is. And it's terrible because... Oh, just thing. a minute. What, yeah. what are these podcasts? Oh, well, there's the... It's very nice of you to ask. Yeah. Um, this is the Cosmic Shed podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Yes, and of course, Physics World. Uh, oh, podcast. wow. Um, I'm just finishing up, actually, a podcast on Physics World about um, quantum technology, mm. which is fascinating. Anyway, the, the, it reminds me. Yes. What happens is I record these podcasts, yeah. I interview people. Yeah. I bring some of those interviews to this show, and then I do little interjections myself, right? Yeah, I record them, I edit them. You chip in, you go, what a load of rubbish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quantum technology. Yeah. Are you and, mad? And then I go for a little walk, right? Yeah. In my local area, Gloucester Road. Right? I'm walking down Gloucester Road, listening to the sound of my own voice in my headphones. Yeah. And then I'll bump into a friend fairly regularly. Yeah. And they'll, they'll say hello, and I'll start talking to them. And then I hear my own voice again. And now here I am again, hearing my own voice. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you'll know anybody who's listening. That uh, listening to the sound of your own voice is pretty terrible. Yeah, it's better thought for me. Yeah, am I living out speaking? Yeah, well, do you know, I, I, I'm exactly the same. People don't believe me when I say this, or I don't, I don't particularly. I've got used to it. Yeah, and that's the thing. I've it? got used to the sound of my own voice on radio or up to so, a point. Yeah, right. but I, I still, I still wince yeah. when I hear it, and uh, it's quite interesting because there is a story here. Um, I can't remember where we got this from. This is, I think, this write-ups in the Guardian. Yes, it is indeed, and. Um, uh, it's been around for a while, actually, the story, but it's but it's it, it, it's popped up again very recently. Uh, I think Philip Jekyll has written it up in the in the Guardian. Um, essentially, um, a, a psychologist uh, at uh, the University of Essex, which I think is in Colchester, um, uh, says that uh, his name is uh, Doctor Silke Pullman, and uh, says that. The fact that when we hear our own voices um, at a higher pitch than we're used to is disconcerting. So that's the first. That's the first thing. So we, when we speak, we're used to hearing our voice through the bones in our head. Your voice must sound amazing to you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it brings down the the pitch. So so we don't hear our voice as other people hear our voice. We hear it through the bones in our head. That's the first thing. The second thing 
um, that psychologists have uh, remarked upon. And there's a study which goes back a, a, a little bit earlier. Holtzman and Cl- uh, a chap called Phil Holtzman and Clyde Rousey, just give them their credit, they found that there's this, that they talked about this thing called voice confrontation. And they said it's not just about expect the frequency that you expect to hear your voice at, but because when you listen to your own voice, you hear nuances and tones and styles and communication in the voice that you just go, oh, my goodness, is that... Do I sound like that? You know. So, for example, with me, I, my voice is actually slower than I imagine it to be when mm. I'm speaking, and it's a little bit more emotive... Yes. Than I expect it to be. Yes. Uh, no, I can't speak very crisp, crisply and, uh, you know, and so on and so on. But I don't. I, 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 I uh, particularly on, on radio, speak in, in a way where the voice seems to be a lot more full of emotion than I imagine. And I, it freaks me out yeah. When, yeah. I, when, when, I, when I hear it. Is that because you don't want to give away your emotions? Well, there you, there you are, you see. You, you, you realise that your own voice is giving away things that you didn't realise that it, that it was giving away. But everybody who's known you forever go, well, that's just Malcolm, that's how yeah. he speaks, or well, that's just Andrew, that's how, that's how he speaks. Right. They don't say that to me, they don't say that's Andrew, they no. say that's Malcolm. They say that's just Mal- to get that straight. That's Malcolm, the yeah. emotional robot yeah. who, yeah. who shows, yeah. has no emotions and yeah. certainly doesn't show them through his voice. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think it was a really interesting piece, actually, and the, the, the really interesting thing to me was that the way that they've discovered some of these things and one of the things they did was that they sampled people's voices and played them to them as part of other groups of voices and got them to rate them so they didn't know it was their own voice and when they didn't know it was their own voice when th- that they were hearing they rated it much higher than when uh, they did know it was their yes. own voice so, so, so people are very critical of yeah. their, their own voices yeah. that's interesting isn't it and also when people are speaking in a foreign language they don't have such a harsh view of their own voice when they listen to them in a second language for people who are bilingual. And I, as somebody who was at one point slightly bilingual, can you be slightly bilingual? Yeah. What, um, was, it, what was your in, lingual? In uh, French. Um, French, hey? yes. And um, a little bit of Russian. And when I spoke those other languages, I didn't feel myself in the same way. I sort of changed personality slightly. Because ah, you that's... can't... It, certainly when I was learning the languages to begin with, yeah. and as I got into them, it, I, I became a slightly different person in those languages. And I think that that's kind of holds true to what they're saying here, that when you hear it in the other language, it doesn't sort of reveal as much about you as you thought you did. Anyway, I'm getting really self conscious about speaking (laughs) that's really interesting um i I read of somebody um uh, not so long ago who learned to speak spanish and speak it very well and uh it it turned out that his personality was completely different in spanish yeah Yeah. that he was livelier more more energetic more outgoing more gregarious and so slightly less effective footballer (laughs) (laughs) possibly true possibly true all right so we uh uh, another story i I want to go to Uh, this comes from technology and um 
uh, it's in the news because Citroen, 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 the uh, car people, um, have uh, developed some glasses that can help you deal, deal with motion sickness. Oh, my, this is one of the most horrible experiences uh, that people have, I think, which is you go on a car journey. They say, oh, do you mind sitting in the back? <laughs> and, uh, I, well, this is true for me anyway. And uh, within minutes, if I try to look at anything, if I try to look at my mobile phone or look at a book or something, it doesn't happen on trains, but it happens in cars and it happens in coaches. It makes me feel incredibly sick. And so what Citroen have done... Sorry, it sounds like I'm plugging Citroen. <laughs> sorry about that. I didn't mean to. They've developed some glasses, which they're calling Citroen, S. E.E. Trent. Aha, see what they did there. And they claim it's the the first glasses uh, to eliminate uh, motion sickness. Um, Motion sickness, by the way, is known as kinetosis. It affects 30... This is a a European magazine, so they say it affects 30 million Europeans, which presumably includes us at the moment, uh, in a chronic manner, and at least one in three people anywhere... Uh, experience symptoms at least once in their lifetime. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if you experienced it once. I think this is a problem for people who experience it all the time. Loads of... Ch- oh, when I was a child, endless. I just had endless car uh, sickness. And uh, you can take various pills and things. But these glasses look very funky uh, because they... Basically, they have a liquid in the frames. And if I if I've got this right... The idea is that uh, the liquid in in the frames is coloured. It always sits in the peripheral vision. Due to gravity, the liquid always stays level, regardless of what your head is doing. And it becomes an artificial, stable horizon line. Because what makes us sick is that the, the horizon line keeps moving. And it confuses our brains and, it, 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 and we cannot get stable. And uh, in combination, weirdly and oddly, but many of you will know this, um, uh, there's a liquid in our ears um, which uh, also helps us uh, stay stable, stable. And the combination of what the eye sees and what's going on in the, uh, uh, in the, inside your inner ear uh, helps the brain to go, yep, this is, this is a stable this is uh, something to look at, which gives mm. us a constant benchmark and everything's okay. Yeah, I, d- I don't intend to get motion sickness, but I quite like to wear the glasses because they look kind of sci-fi. Yeah, and, um, very sci-fi. But I, I did note that children under 10 can't use them because their inner ear hasn't developed yeah, yet. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, so there you are. Mm. Talking about things that haven't developed, well, John Ford has joined us. <laughs> Hi, John. It's Hello. Great, great to have you uh, uh, it's lovely to be here. As yeah. usual. Sorry, for, sorry, I can't help. The uh, it's like Tourette's. <laughs> I hope you I haven't caught that as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Have you had a good week? Oh, a lovely week, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good, good. So, so far, it's only Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Let me rephrase that. Have you weekend. had a good week since we saw you last? Yes, last seven days. Uh, been all right actually. Yeah, enjoying the weather, of course. Yeah, and the, yeah. the football and everything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah it was all good. Absolutely. What was the um, the we past so- calls you were? talking about earlier neutrinos remember. neutrinos sounds like a band doesn't it it does in fact sounds like a backing we have 
Malcolm Love and the Neutrinos. Yeah. <laughs> even, even better, the oh, cosmic yes. neutrinos. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, rock and roll. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. So, um, is there anything you think we left out of the show this week? Uh, yes, loads. Um, did you cover the fact that on this day in 1969, the crew of Apollo 11, Neil Armstrong, Edwin Aldrin and uh, Michael Collins, blasted off from Cape Kennedy this very day? No. Landed on the moon, didn't they? They certainly did. They did. Uh, uh, they should have waited. Yes. They could have gone from Scotland, from what I was hearing earlier. <laughs> That's right. Did you Absolutely. cover this story? Oh, we, didn't. we did. We didn't cover it. No, oh, I, I saw oh, it just before you? we. I saw it just before we went on it. It's um, it's the UK Space Agency, but I, yeah, and and it's going to be sort of like the very north east coast of Scotland. You know, the bit that kind of is, is that because um, when you take off, it, it's better for the trajectory of the rocket. Oh, going up in space. Oh. It's, oh. I believe it's mainly because it's not very well populated around there. So oh, okay. if it goes wrong, then you're not going to take out too many people. All yeah. right. Okay. But it's combined you just get the Shetlanders. Yeah. 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 And um, there's, but it's combined with a vertical take, no, horizontal takeoff space planes from vertical oh, right. okay. down in Cornwall. That's yeah. Happen. You Will you be help. booking a ticket? Uh, if I had all the money in the world, I would definitely book a ticket for everyone in the world. Yeah, yeah. Ex- except these rockets are going uh, are just satellites. Yes. For, for I mean, if they, I mean, with, this right? is a, a station, is it? This is a blast-off station. It's yeah. not going to be like Metrobus, where they make the thing and they haven't got any rockets to, <laughs> to use them. <laughs> <laughs> Very good topical reference. Well, uh, yeah. You're just, just thinking about it. You yeah. know, we, we, we haven't got any rockets. I mean, we can put a load of tarmac down, of course. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I know. I think uh, um, Lockheed Martin uh, yeah. joined in with the UK, uh, UK Space Agency. It was great. I think our UK space programme is based in Leicester, of all places. Yeah. yeah. Well, isn't the yeah. European Space Agency in Swindon, or is that the UK? No, no. That, uh, was it close? Definitely not in Swindon. They have, Wait, well, uh, something base, in Swindon, surely? They have a base now. Well, they moved a few years ago, oh, but they? they have, okay. they're in uh, Harwell near uh, Oxford. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you'd think they'd build it there. Uh, yes. Somewhere. Well, I but don't know. probably not best to launch things from there. Anyway, no. was, did you, in your uh, considered opinion, was there anything else we left out? Yes. Um, this day in 1945, <laughs> the world's first atomic bomb was successfully oh, exploded man. in a desert uh, in New Mexico. Um, and then a few months later, they, uh, they thought it was such a success, they'll have a go in Hiroshima. Yes, tragically, uh, yes. Uh, that, was called, that was called the fat man, wasn't it? It, it was, isn't it? Ironically, uh, Trump and Putin have been meeting today talking about the fact that they've got 90% of the world's nuclear weaponry. Yeah, between them. So, so you yeah. could destroy the world all, oh, maybe 200 times over. Of course. Very useful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah. do you want one more here? Yeah, please. Um, and this is good. Um, and, and linked to the, the, the thing up in Scotland, because this day in 1867, reinforced concrete was invented. A bloke <laughs> called Joseph Monnier. Um, he was French. It was invented in France. Really? Reinforced concrete, which you will need if you're going to build somewhere to fire rockets from, presumably. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I remember seeing pictures. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, they're doing some demolition in New York City, knocking down some um, skyscrapers. Yeah. And because a lot of reinforced, I mean, a lot of rein, the, the metal rods they put in concrete. I mean, you're an engineer, right? You might know. Oh, I, yeah, about, by, about, my, about my past history. Um, you know, they, not doesn't do anything. Though. Some they stress by um, uh, pulling it. Yeah. And some they used to pressurise it. And when they knocked them down with a wrecking ball, apparently steel girders or steel uh, bits of rods. steel wire, yeah. rod, thank you, that's yeah. the word I'm looking for, would just 
fly out into yeah. the sky and become missiles. Yeah, that's right. Is yeah. that yeah, yeah? I mean, what a what a mad thing. It is completely mad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But hey, there you go. Well, well, well. Look, uh, don't forget to stay uh, tuned uh, to BCFM because after the news, uh, John Ford's going to be getting uh, Bristol home. Uh, it's been fantastic having your company this afternoon, as usual. So, from Andrew Glester and me, we're going to say goodbye. Have yourself a very good evening, and don't forget uh, to join me and the mystery guest uh, next week for another edition of Love and Science. Science.